0: Hey, y'all, welcome to Sports in the Time of COVID. I'm your host, Michael Torres. Thank you for hitting that play button. Welcome back. Good to always be with you on another episode, and your listening is always appreciated. It's March Madness. After losing the tournaments amidst the beginning of the pandemic last year, they're back in Indianapolis and San Antonio in bubble esque environments. Minimal crowds, restrictions in place over the next couple of weeks. COVID is still having an impact on sports like this. In fact, UConn women's basketball coach, Gino Oriema just returned to the team after testing positive for the virus. He's rejoined the team now um, after his quarantine in San Antonio, where the women's tournament is actually taking place. It's just an hour and a half away from me. Speaking of women's college basketball, though, it was arguably the biggest story this past weekend when players and coaches shared images and video displaying the differences in support that they received as compared to their male counterparts. The men's modified weight room was stacked with everything they needed. They had swag bags stocked as well, food on point in their hotels, and um, branding designed to a tee. The women in San Antonio, though, didn't get as much. Oregon's Sedona Prince's uh, viral video demonstrated that the 64 women's teams had a, a small weight rack with no dumbbells uh, that were over 30 pounds. While other images expanded to show that they had a few yoga mats too. How lucky they are! There are also comparisons of less appetizing food options, swag bags that weren't as full, or had puzzles with less pieces than the men because women can't put puzzles together, I guess that was their thinking. And court logos for the men's touting March Madness with sweet-looking design, whereas the San Antonio court got to say women's basketball in a much more plain design. Athletes of all gender identities came out in defense of the women on social media, calling out the NCAA to not only do better next time, but to fix the issue at hand immediately. He had companies like Dick's Sporting Goods, Tonal, and Orange Theory offering to open up their resources and donate workout equipment to the women. After initially stating uh, that the NCAA had a spacing issue preventing them from providing proper exercise equipment for all 64 athletic teams and getting called out for that being false, they were able to get a much more robust workout area finally. Now let me pause here to provide a bit of background. I used to work in college athletics for a bit, but in that time, some of my favorite athletes to cover were the female athletes at my alma mater of Texas State University. We had no men's team in soccer, so women's soccer was just soccer, and a damn good program at that. The volleyball team was successful. Basketball so open and welcoming that I volunteered to work their games when I was in my hometown of El Paso while I was at home for winter break. These women... Would share their stories about how they loved, even dreamed of playing collegiately. I heard the same from the men's teams as well when I covered them. College athletes work their asses off to make these teams, scholarship or otherwise, and they play under the flag of the NCAA. So when that organization lets them down like they did this past weekend, it's a huge disappointment. Imagine the blow you're dealt when the NCAA touts diversity and equality, but their actions don't show it during the most important time of your collegiate career. With that being said, the women in this tournament I'm sure weren't surprised, as some of the coaches and former players admitted. They're used to not getting the same resources, attention, or treatment. They're used to some of the same vitriol that I received online from making comments that supported them on social media. Stuff like accusations that my support was anti-men or getting triggered over a basketball court. Questioning what gender the NCAA is. Another one that they're used to, uh, it's about revenue. Well, if that were the case, then should Norfolk State have had the same access as Gonzaga in the men's tournament? They played each other, but is anyone really watching men's Norfolk State before this week or searching for that merchandise? What does revenue have to do with the different COVID tests that the women are getting, with them getting the cheaper, less accurate option than the men? If they didn't attract viewers or bring in cash, then why did participation in ESPN's Women's Tournament Challenge increase by 103% compared to 2019, or set Fox Sports viewership records this year for women's sports, or get President Barack Obama to fill out both a men's and women's bracket? That argument... That women in sports, uh, collegiate or pro, should be getting their fair share has never been anti-men or about getting the same treatment that, let's say, Zion Williamson did in college or LeBron James does in the pros. What they're coming out for is accountability and actionable change to get what is right an equal opportunity. You don't have the opportunity as an athlete without the ability to work out because one team has all of the only dumbbells available in the hotel. You don't have the opportunity without support. And that's what they're looking for, the support that they've been lacking for years. Whether it's generational that they're more vocal or women are just tired of the bullshit, they're not stopping until that support is given. You know how faith in a deity, in people, whatever it may be, Is it really nothing without belief? Yet, with a strong, unwavering belief, it does wonders for individuals? Sort of same idea here. Believe, support, invest in women's sports, and see the wonders that they can do. Not because they're the daughter of someone or because we have moms and sisters, but because what's fair and just should not be tied to revenue or TV contracts. Women's sports should be supported because it's right to back them up. The guest on this episode of the podcast is Jordan Liggins, one of the hosts of the new podcast Spinsters. I caught wind of Spinsters when it released, and it was an immediate favorite, but Jordan is incredibly talented and accomplished, having worked for The Ringer and several magazines and currently with Mojo Youth Coaching. We're lucky to have such a great storyteller on the podcast, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, as, as a fan of the podcast, first of all, and for those listening too, um, can you talk a little bit about Spinsters and how that came about with Haley?
1: Yeah, so Spinsters is a basketball podcast where we put the spin on the NBA. Um, Haley and I both worked together at The Ringer, but it wasn't until we both left The Ringer that we were like, wait, maybe we should do something together. (laughs) Um, I had just got hired at Mojo and she was working at Blue Wire Podcasts, trying to launch her own podcast, looking for a co-host. And um, she just reached out and said, hey, I just want to practice with you. I need to get practice with hosting. So we just talked about the Clippers for, like, 30 minutes, and somehow that ended up me being a host of (laughs) – a co-host of Spinsters. (laughs) Life is weird. That's how it works. Um, But it's so fun. Uh, We just talk about, you know, what's happened over the weekend and how we can make basketball talk different. You know, there's a lot of – Frankly, just men talking about the the boring things of basketball, and we want to integrate our personalities and rom coms and horoscopes into basketball talk somehow.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and um, that definitely kind of speaks to what I wanted to ask you about, which is something that was incredibly relevant with the last episode of Spinsters um, and it's mm-hmm. incredibly timely with just conversations going on right now but which is dunking in basketball and the other day Shaq had that moment in which he should have just stopped talking uh, but um, he kept asking Candace Parker about lowering the rim for the WNBA to dunk more and being that that was sort of on the last episode where you all talked about how it's not a matter of athleticism but of support and history and as a former player I was hoping maybe you could share some of that <laughs>
1: Yes, exactly. So that was the best cross promotion we could have ever asked for is <laughs> Shaq being on TNT, talking horribly about women's basketball. What a groundbreaking statement. But um, he, yes, he was talking about lowering the rim. And I, for the record, knew it was going to be a terrible idea when he said, Candace, I have an idea about the women's game. Mm. And that's when I completely turned off everything in my mind because I'm like, this is going to be terrible. But the story that Natalie Weiner reported for us was fantastic. It was talking about that exact thing on how we should bring the women's game above the rim rather than lowering the rim to appease, you know, frankly, a male audience um, for more entertainment. It is atrocious to suggest lowering the rim for these professional athletes that have trained their whole life on a regulation rim. Um, and then people say, well, the ball is smaller and the free throw line and the um, three point line is closer. The ball is smaller just because our hands don't get as big as men. Like that's just the fact we could play with the men's ball. It's fine. But lowering the rim would change your shot would change
0: mm-hmm.
1: everything that you've learned. Um, so for dunking and from my experience, um, you guys can't see me, but I'm 5'5". So I have no personal experience with dunking. Um, but <laughs> I've, I, I feel like even if I could or even if I wanted to, I was always surrounded by coaches that encouraged me to try my best, to do my best, jump at my highest point, you know, always try to to reach for the rim reach for the net reach for the backboard and i think that's where it starts um there is a place for dunking in the women's game um it's not a lack of women not knowing how to or not having the ability it is you know like some players said on the podcast sometimes i just don't want to i want the guaranteed two points and like that's okay um so it just starts with coaches trainers and fans encouraging that not putting them down if they miss i think that's also like fear-based women not really wanting to try because they're like if i miss i'm going to be headlined everywhere um so just the encouragement part which is a great start
0: yeah it's unfortunate that absolutely that would happen it would be you know, everything on social media if someone missed like that. But I've seen Russell Westbrook and other players miss dunks and, you know, like, they don't get clowned for it.
1: Exactly. And it happens every time. And I love that we included in that piece about, you know, lowering the rim for girls to practice is great because high school boys basketball does that all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, if you ask a a boy when is the first time they learned how to dunk, it was on a lowered rim. They were encouraged to. Their coaches put them – them through drills where they're dunking so it's going through the same things and then getting that confidence on a lowered rim to be able to you know throw down in a regular regulation rim in a game
0: yeah absolutely yeah. um at, still on the subject of timeliness and basketball um is what we were sort of talking about uh before we officially got going was the failure that is the support um, by the NCAA for, for the women's March Madness tournament. And what were your thoughts or reactions to what came to light and what transpired over the past couple of days?
1: It was anger, but also unsurprised anger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was right before we hopped onto this call, I was just explaining the situation to my parents because I saw their upgraded weight room that's going around today um, that they finally have, like, a treadmill in it, which is (laughs) so crazy. Um, And I was explaining that, and my dad said a great thing. He's like, this is wild how this could still happen after Title IX. Like, it doesn't even make sense why – Oh, the women's side of the NCAA tournament gets a weight rack that has maximum thirty-pound weights on it, yoga mats, and the men get a whole facility that looks like so much money was poured into it, and like fifty dollars was poured into the women's game. Um, $50. I also saw <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's a huge disparity, and I also saw I think it was um, Louisville. Mm-hmm was working out in their hallway of their hotel room. Like oh my God, putting, yeah, resistance ban on their hotel doors to be able to get a workout in because they didn't have the space for it. Um, so it's just things like that where I'm like, this is, this is ridiculous. Uh, Brianna Turner, a WNBA player, tweeted. She said, um, NCAA to the men, we're happy to have you here. NCAA to the women, you should be happy to be here, yep. and that is a completely different tone that the NCAA is setting. Like nobody else is doing that, but them.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I saw um, harkening back to uh, again a, a friend of the podcast and uh, friend of the court sports. Um, she she was talking about the stipulations of Title IX and because of the way the NCAA is just constructed that they don't receive the federal funding that they can like sort of circumvent these things which is just Mm -hmm. incredibly even more infuriating that and 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 arguably just as infuriating is that they didn't think that anyone was going to say anything just have this little like set of dumbbells that you know I have here at my house um (laughs) where it was going to suffice you know what the how many teams are there 64 teams
1: It's ridiculous, and that's exactly the point. It's, okay, I hope no one says anything on Twitter, which all of our players are active on, and, um, yeah, hopefully no one one says anything because we made this decision. It wasn't – and then the BS answer of, oh, we didn't have enough space, and then the players pan over to (laughs) this huge conference room that could have been filled with, with weights, It's it's ridiculous and it's kind of deja vu, honestly, with the with the WNBA bubble and um, how the only things that made those things better was reactions from the public and Twitter kind of bashing the WNBA for those type of living situations for some of the players and especially the rookies. And the same thing for the women's basketball players who have worked so hard to get to this point in their career in this tournament, it took NBA players, WNBA players, everyone from the media to point out that this is wrong for them to react and change it instead of saying, okay, this would have been the right thing to do in the first place. And that's where we need to get to, which seems so basic.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it it really does. Uh, Switching gears, we all just recently hit a year with something COVID related, right? Like the year of quarantine, the year of something. In that year, there's been so much that's happened with the virus, vaccine, social injustice, police brutality protests, political unrest. You have a unique relationship to sports. And that's sort of what people um, have been asking about is, you know, what do other people think about sports right now in a time like this? I just wanted to hear what sports has meant to you during everything.
1: It's been a complicated relationship, Mm. if I can be frank, because once uh, you know, once Rudy Gobert contracted COVID and the whole NBA shut down, yep. I knew that COVID was real, but that moment made it very real. Oh, yeah. Like that's how much I entrust sports was because when sports was taken away, it was like, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. This is, this is real. Um, and then that whole period without it, I was like, I really miss basketball. When is it coming back? Then when it came back, I was like, I don't know if I should be watching this. I don't feel right. Yeah. And that's exactly how I feel now. I, I just think about everyone's families. I think about, you know, Carl Anthony Towns who has lost so many family members mm-hmm. due to this virus and just wanting everyone to be safe over my fandom. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where I've, I've kind of been in a pickle because I'm like, I love basketball, I love watching it, but I don't feel like people and people's families and loved ones should be put in harm way so that I can be entertained. Um, that's That's been the, the hard spot for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and same here. I've heard that same sort of mentality uh, that other people are like, it sort of takes a a back seat at the moment, or I don't feel motivated to watch. And then at the same time, I've also heard people that are like, well, I work in sports, so it's my livelihood. Like I needed it to go somewhere. And and yeah, so it's had such an effect on everybody.
1: Definitely. And um, even with March Madness happening right now, I was Mm -hmm. also watching it with my parents and I was was like, I'm mad how fun this is. (laughs) Like I was angry because I don't want it to happen. And I don't, especially the kids, like, we don't know what type of long-term effects COVID can have on your body yet. And these mm-hmm. kids are 20, 21, and I don't know why we're treating it so flippant when they are, are getting tes- testing positive, coming back. Same with NBA players. We're like, oh, it's like a injury. They'll be back in, in, a, in a week. And we just don't know what that means yet. Um, so I was... I was frustrated at all these game winners this past week because I did miss it, but I'm like, dang it. I don't know if they should be playing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and especially, um, you know, the women's tournament in San Antonio and the surrounding areas too, with Texas being a hundred percent open and, and no mask mandate. Yes. And, um, you know, as, as much as individual cities can try to do for themselves and, and I sort of see it firsthand, um, there's only so much that like you can do to, you can't regulate thousands of people, you just can't. You,
1: you just can't. I, I know, I was gonna ask you about that, like how is Texas? That is, that's wild to me, I can't even imagine it. I'm in California, so yeah. we're all over the place too, but yeah. I, how has that been?
0: Uh, Texas gonna Texas. Um, there's <laughs> that's, that's the only way to put it, which is you know kind of unfortunate. Um, so I, I live in Austin and Austin is putting up its own fight to make sure that there is still a mask mandate, that there is still 50 to 75 percent business capacities. Um, and the governor wants to turn around and sue the city. And so they're battling it out in court, wow. which comes on the heels of my hometown of El Paso this past fall uh, when they had uh, a really bad outbreak. um COVID was sort of ravaging the city, they tried to institute um, a curfew and a lockdown of, of sorts. And the the county judge said, like, you know, there's going to be measurements in place. And um, at the time, the the mayor was, was Republican. And so he leveraged the Republican governor and attorney general to turn around and sue the city of El Paso and to remove said lockdowns and measurements. And so it, it's been a wild ride to see wow. yeah like just how it reflects what's going on in society like as as a nation where we're left to fend for ourselves we're not getting the help that we should be getting and this is unfortunately yeah. what we have to deal with
1: yeah and I, and i thought about that too of you know they're bringing these bubbles to places that they know that they can mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of get have a little more lead way. But then on the flip side of that, I think if I was in Texas and I was trying to do the right thing and trying to follow the rules, mm-hmm. here comes like hundreds and hundreds of people to my state, my city that can put more people that I love at risk and you don't even know, like you might not go to the gym or maybe you do go to a game, but it's still just more people, more options. I don't know. It was a thought I had.
0: Yeah. Like my community didn't ask for this. Right. And I can only imagine what San Antonio thinks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I know. Uh, Finally though, is is there anything else that you want to share about spinsters about Mojo or, or just where to find your work in general?
1: Yeah, so I um, am the content community editor at Mojo, which is a new youth sports app. I'm obsessed with it. It is all for the volunteer coaches out there that um, you know are coaching your kids, or volunteering in youth sports. We will create your practices for you. One less thing to think about, so that you can be present with kids growing up playing basketball. That is where my heart is. I had the best coaches. My dad was my coach. So I'm so happy to be involved with Mojo. And then for Spinsters, we have a new episode every Tuesday. Um, You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. It's so much fun. We have a mix of conversational and narrative podcasts where we do deep dives into historical topics or topics that just interest us really. (laughs) Um, And it's so much fun. So make sure to subscribe.
0: Absolutely. And again, I'm a big fan. So thank you so much for coming and nothing uh, but continued success wishing for you and, and Haley as well.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks again to Jordan Liggins. Be sure to check out Mojo and Spinsters, which just dropped another great episode this week. Sports news in the time of COVID. In other COVID March Madness-related news, do you all remember Sister Jean from Loyola, Chicago? Well, she got vaccinated and made her way out to the NCAA tournament with the men's team and has brought her good luck, super faith, or just overall motivation to college basketball again. The 8th-seeded men's Ramblers played the role of spoiler yet again uh, for people's brackets and are in the Sweet 16. Seriously, some of those guys are deserving of the old bad boys two line you know the one that's like you look 30 and uh they somehow managed to beat one of the top teams in the tournament in illinois after sister jean prayed that they would shoot a worse percentage from three whether you're just well coached or it's divine intervention uh it's teams like this that are the reason why people believe that the tournament is full of upsets every year the New Orleans Saints were punished for COVID violations this week, along with the Oakland Raiders, by a fine of hundreds of thousands of dollars, 700 and 800 respectively. The difference is that the Saints also lost a six round draft pick this year, whereas the Raiders did not. The Saints' violation stems from video of them celebrating in the locker room without masks during the season. But let's not forget the Raiders had a charity event in which they did not wear masks. Head coach John Gruden would always forget to wear his properly or at all. Also, what about the Titans and Ravens, who also had lax measures against the virus at their facilities and had so many people test positive that their games had to get postponed multiple times? This latest development just gives Saints fans more ammo to say that the NFL, or at least Roger Goodell, is out to get them. And boy, does the league make it hard to dispel that conspiracy theory. In the wrestling world, Charlotte Flair has tested positive for the coronavirus. For those not familiar with Charlotte, she is the most decorated female wrestler in WWE history, having won 13 titles in her tenure with the company. Also, Ric Flair happens to be her father. Woo! Charlotte is a one of only three women to ever headline a WrestleMania pay-per-view and was poised to return to the spotlight of the biggest wrestling event in the world before testing positive for COVID. She's thankfully at home resting now. Uh, the news comes on the same time uh, as her fiance being released from the company, though, which led to many people believing her absence from TV was related to that before she disclosed her condition via Twitter. Here's hoping that she makes a full recovery without any long-term effects on her health or her career. And finally, it's been an odd week for sports to continue and try to get back to normal like the rest of society is trying to do, but with that, we've seen an increase in the amount of mass shootings on the year, and it's been especially rough after the events in Georgia and Colorado. An instance in which anti-Asian racist rhetoric not only spurred the terrorism, but also was prevalent even after the suspect was apprehended. An instance in which people who were supposed to feel safe shopping for groceries, avoiding only the virus instead of violence, both in different ways, remind me of the shooting which occurred in 2019 in my hometown of El Paso, Texas. I don't know how many more of these horrific instances need to occur before something is done to address the root causes, but I do know that when the El Paso one occurred, There were people to turn to. Now, I wasn't at that Walmart, nor was I in the city at the time, but the fear and anxiety were real for my family and friends. I had people to turn to, though. Coworkers who asked if my family was okay and let me vent about it. Friends who invited me out to get my mind off of it. Therapy groups to help El Pasoans in Austin work through it. So whether or not you had ties to either location, or have seen Asian targeting makes you feel fearful, know that there are people out there for you. People around you will help. Talk. Be there through that grief with you. Seek it out, and hopefully it'll offer some sort of comfort. And I'll be around if you need someone to talk to. Just reach out. That's the pod for this week. Thank you so much as always for listening. Please follow on Instagram and Twitter, at Sports and COVID, And until we talk again next week, be safe out there.